You're listening to the CapEx Big Question podcast, where we're joined by other investors, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs discussing global game-changing trends and burning topics that keep investors up at night, one question at a time. So today I have part two of a conversation that I had with the CIO and CEO of Morgan Creek Capital, Mark Yusko. We cut into the conversation where we began discussing oil and then we move on to a number of other topics. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. And then I'll bag out of there and go talk to a couple oil managers down there, see what they're thinking with this nonsense that's going on with OPEC. Yeah, I don't think OPEC's as important as it used to be. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they, they just made a huge mistake, I think, two years ago when they decided not to cut. And they basically rendered themselves, you know, non, they're no longer the, you know, um, swing producer. So it's kind of like, you know, I look at it and it's like having, having a, um, a bully in the playground and he's in order for him to retain his status and be the bully, he needs to make sure that anytime anybody challenges him, he smashes them. Right. And what, yeah, what they yeah, did exactly. was they, they, they just went, you know what, this time he's going to get beaten. And yeah, you know, so now the whole market goes, hang on, the bully's not like, yeah, he's a bully, but um, you know what, Freddie, Freddie, that skinny kid with pimples just beat him like a couple of weeks ago. So he's not that important. And that's kind of yeah. see it in the market pricing. Yeah. Yep. All right. I am I am back at it. Awesome. Um, so where were we? We were talking about these low vol ETFs and, and kind of how that plays out. I mean, crikey, we've seen capital outflows from hedge funds from guys that are literally legends in the field. And, and I sit there and I think to myself, you know, like I've got some of my manage, my money managed with guys and, you know, they're not beating the S the one chap in general, he's not beating the S and P, but you know what? The volatility on the stuff that he's buying and he's buying stuff that hasn't got any debt. Um, I know what the PE yep. range, like, it's, I can't compare the two. I'm paying him for managing that money. I'm paying, like, I'm more than happy to get, you know, what was it, 9%, right? Yeah. And we know what's amazing about this is it, it reminds me so much, again, of, of 2000. I wrote about this in a letter a couple quarters ago about Seth Klarman. <laughs> and, you know, he underperformed for all of the 90s. So for 10 years, he underperformed. He still generated good, solid returns, kind of you know low double-digit returns, 10 11%. And yet the market was compounding at 15 16 and everybody said, oh, hedge funds are dead. What do we need you for? Why pay 2 and 20 And so we're not going to hire you. The next 10 years, from 2000 to 2010, the S&P was negative 1% compounded for a decade, and Seth was up 17 Yeah. And so... Now, in the last couple of years, he struggled. He just had his third down year in 33 years last year. And he had a guy come up and say, you know, he wanted to redeem. 
And uh, no, no, he said, he, he didn't say he wanted to redeem. He said, you know, I, I, I don't understand, Seth. You, you got all this cash. You know, you got 50% cash. And you know, what am I paying you two and 20 for cash? And Seth said very quickly, mm-hmm. said, oh my gosh, you think you're paying me to hold cash? Oh my gosh, I will get your money back tomorrow. No, 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 no. You pay me to know when to hold cash and when not to hold cash. And so I'll get your money back tomorrow. He says, no, 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 I don't, I don't want out. You know, um, I, I don't want to be redeemed. He said, no, 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 you, you don't understand what we do. You're getting your money back. And I think that's where we are is, is people, for whatever reason, believe that this you know, capitalization-weighted index, which is just, just a lazy form of active management, is somehow, because it did well the previous five years, is the right way to manage money. Yet, over the 33-year period, you know, you compare the S&P to Baupost, and, you know, with one, you'd have $20, and the other, you'd have $150 for every dollar. I think 150 is better than 20 personally. Yeah, look, it's just... It's linear thinking in a dynamic world, and that that linear. The longer the linear stays, well the 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 more con, you know the more confident one gets with that scenario, and so it, it's look. It comes back to what you said before. You know, it's not different this time, right? And you know, I look at it now, and I think you know, if I was a salesman, which I'm not, I would go out now, and I would literally get pool as much capital as I could. And I would literally go out and, and put it into, you know, some of these really top legend investors because the whole experience yep. capital outflows. And I think over the next decade, that portfolio of assets, because look, that's that, like if I was being lazy, right, I wouldn't have to do anything. I would literally just, you know, cherry pick the best guys and just asset yep. allocate across their strategies, right? So you can have, you know, you know the top emerging market guy and a top you know, whatever, right? So you can basically do your kind of traditional portfolio analysis, but just put it into active because when that yep. passive, passive is only passive until it stops working and then it becomes really active. <laughs> then it becomes really active. So like that's so well put. And look, I, I actually said this on my Twitter account and no one took me up on it that I'll, I'll make anyone, anyone, anywhere, the Buffett bet right now. Hedge funds versus the S&P for the next 10 years. I'll make anyone that bet. And I, I'm, I'm 100, not 100%, you're never 100%, but I am certain that, that hedge funds are going to outperform, particularly the ones that everybody's running away from because they've chosen to be intelligent and buy good companies and short bad companies, which has been a very unprofitable strategy in 2016. Yeah, it's funny, you know, I had, a, I had a conversation with one of the LPs in our fund just the other day, and, you know, we started off this thing, which we've got, you know, our mandate is we keep 50% in cash, right? But we're going after mm-hmm. asymmetric opportunities. We're often using long-dated options, right? So we're taking risk. Like, we're buying, look, we're buying wasting assets that can and will, some will go to zero, right? Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we've got to risk manage that. And so, you know, we deployed like 40% and the 40% then just, you know, rocketed. And so now we have to basically start taking chips off the table to bring it back into the ratio, right? And he's going, well, no, I don't mm-hmm. really like that. Like you want to, you know, you're, you're killing it. So, you know, I want to keep money in there. Why do you have to do the 50%? And I said, well, 
you know, there's two things here. One is how would you feel if we were down, you know, how would, we, how would you feel if we deployed 100% and we were down by the same percentage point? You'd be down like 40% mm -hmm. on your capital in a few months. How would you feel? It's like, hmm. And I said, the other element is that cash is an asset. And right now, cash is one of the assets that nobody really wants to own. The central banks don't want you to own it, um, yep. certainly. And so cash has massive optionality. Why would you not want to own Massive it? optionality. Yeah, I could and, not agree more. And so, you know, but that's, that's kind of like this broad environment. People, are, they don't look at cash as, as anything other than a tradable instrument. And look, for the most part of history, it hasn't been because you have you know, inflation, governments routinely devalue currencies, but you have periods of time, and I believe this is one of them, where you need to own that. And that, you know, so you come back to, say, Seth Klarman or any of these guys with a holding cash. Like, yes, you're paying them to know when to hold cash. Who cares if you don't get the extra couple of points that, you know, come out of the S&P or whatever it is? Um, because it's not about those points. It's about what are those points on a risk basis worth? And, you know, yeah, it reminds back to, me back of to my, low vol ETFs, I mean, Jesus Christ, yeah. what are you, yeah, fine, you're getting, you know, a few more points and volatility looks low, but guess what? It only looks low because you're in there and everybody else is in there. Exactly. Well, it's, <laughs> it's like this whole idea of, of buying stocks for yield and buying bonds for gain. No, 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 no. You don't buy stocks for yield because you could wipe out 10 years of yield in three months in a normal correction. We don't even need a you know big correction. We just yeah. need a normal correction associated with a normal recession. And you wipe out you know, 10, 15 years of yield when the yield is two to 3%. So this idea that you know, stocks somehow have become safe because you got the central bank put or you, know, you got a new president who says he's gonna spend money it's just insane. And look, it, I, I, my favorite story is, is the guy, Charles, I think it's Charles Babson from the 1920s. And, you know, in 1927, he said, you know, things are getting a little bubbly. I would, you know, take some chips off the table. And of course, they got more bubbly into 28. And he said, you know, I'm going to say the same thing I said last year. And there's going to be a correction and it's probably going to be big. Um, and of course he said that in September of 28 and then it went another whole year and literally in mid September 29, he said, all right guys, I'm telling you, this is it. So, you know, get out. And that's when Irving Fisher said, you know, stocks have reached a new permanently higher plateau uh -huh. right before it went down 86%. <laughs> so, yeah, look, it's like the, it's the great moderation, right? Yeah. Yeah, yep. that's what, you know, there's this perception that we've had this great moderation. It's like, no, that's, that's just bullshit. Um, I wanted to, just before I forget, I wanted to question you on something that's been bugging me. So, like, you're long emerging markets, and you're cognizant of the fact that we've got rising protectionism. How do you risk manage that? Mm, that's such a good question. And, uh, you know, I, I wrote my, my, my new letter all about how Ferris Bueller and Donald Trump are really, you know, one person. And there's this line in uh, the opening of Ferris Bueller where he looks at the camera and he says, you know, 
I don't believe in isms. Isms are not good. And uh, you shouldn't believe in an ism. You should believe in yourself. And, you know, clearly we know that about the Donald. He believes in himself. <laughs> but the key is that isms are bad, right? Yeah. Any ism that we've ever had, socialism, Marxism, you know, uh, if you look at it, protectionism, isolationism, populism, nationalism, and this populist nationalist move does worry me because um, global trade is already falling. And if it continues to fall, that's going to obviously disproportionately hurt the faster growing countries like the emerging markets, unless they can increase trade with themselves. So if we can get a more self-sustaining, you know, movement of, of flows of both dollars and resources, you know, between China and Russia and between China and Indonesia and between Indonesia and Brazil and Brazil and Colombia and Colombia um, and Eastern Europe, then, uh, you know, I feel better. But I, I always talk about risk management is, is investing is about taking intelligent risk and therefore we must take risk in order to make money but we need to be compensated for the risks that we take and that expected return needs to compensate us for all of the risks whether it be currency risk or you know expropriation risk or you know change in in trade pattern risk or, or this nationalism and populism risk and you know i used to fear like in places like Argentina, you know, nationalization, not nationalism, but nationalization where you, know, you put your money in and, and the right. government under Kirshner says, hey, that, that's mine. I'm taking that. Now, I don't worry about that under Macri. So I love Argentina, but I do worry that people in the United States, which we saw after the election, say, well, Donald Trump says, you know, we, we don't like Mexico. So you know, we don't like all Latin America. So the Argentinian market fell and the Mex and the Mex well, the Mexican market fell, obviously. Then the Argentinian market fell and the Brazilian market fell. I'm like, guys, they're not the same country. Yeah, um, yeah we need that to happen. Though. I mean, <laughs> we need it to happen because how do you, how do you find opportunities if you don't have knee jerk reactions going, doing things that just don't logically fundamentally make sense? <laughs> well said. Well at. said. Look, I, yeah. Dislocation. Look, um, our business, your business, my business. You know what? What we hope the people who who listen to or read this um, think the same way is that um, our business is about finding mispricings and finding misallocations. And you're right. How do you have an opportunity if you don't have gold mining stocks go down ninety percent? Yeah. How do they go down ninety percent? That was just silly, but. They did. And what did that do? You know, I, I said in my 10 surprises earlier this year that, you know, surprise number nine, the cure for low prices is low prices. When prices get low, people go out of business and supply comes off. So 90% of the coal companies went bankrupt and a huge number of iron ore companies had to fold up shop. And then suddenly, if you're a survivor like Vale, your stock goes up a lot. But you had to endure that, that downward death spiral and if you were early, again, euphemism for wrong, you know, you could have been licking your wounds and still just be getting back to even. So it is a very delicate 
Yeah. Uh, but this goes back to your point about cash, which is if you hold a lot of cash, I think you are a better investor. In fact, that's one of the great things about, about Klarman is one of the guys that left Baupost wrote about this saying, people say, how can you have teens returns despite having 40% cash? He says, no, 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 you don't understand. We have teens returns because we have 40% cash. Because what cash does is it doesn't put any pressure on you to stay fully invested. And what it does is when you get a big dislocation, you're calm and you don't have to go decide which of your children you don't like to sell. You have something that you can immediately deploy. And so always rotating from fully valued back to cash and having a big cash pool to buy the dislocated assets to me is the most genius strategy of all. Yeah, it's that, it's that ability to manage the biggest risk, which is what is, sits between your two ears, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's that psychological, you know, everybody's, you're a genius when things are working. And I always try and put that other shoe on my foot and say, how would, I, how would I sleep at night? How would I manage this if it was completely the other way? And if you've, if, yep. and, then you, and then you think through that process, then it becomes a lot easier. Um, I actually had uh, essentially a mentor years and years back. It was just a broker of mine at, um, over at Sprott, and he subsequently left the firm mm -hmm. um, and he mentioned this to me we used to jump on a call and discuss all sorts of things and one of the things that he mentioned to me was that if you wake up every morning and you look at what you own and you say to yourself would I buy that he says, that's the question you need to mm -hmm. make every single day and if the answer is no I wouldn't buy it then you have to consider why are you owning it and that's not something that you typically do or it's not something that the typical investor does. They buy something and they kind of just put it in the cupboard and, you know, they'll check it out, check up on it every now and then and, and then happy if it's going well, right? And then mm -hmm. they're not so mm -hmm. happy if it's not going well. And that's completely the opposite way that you should actually be doing it because you're not, you're not identifying risk. You're not consistently identifying risk because you put it in your cupboard if it's gone up well, guess what? The odds are that it's more risky, right? Because, you know, unless... Theoretically, 100%, 100% true. And so, you know, coming back to what you're talking about before there, that ability to just psychologically go through what, you know, what we're all going to go through at some point, which is down markets and, and you know, poor performance and so on and so forth, the ability to manage and go through that process is what, what defines, you know, good money management. Yep. Um, I've got another question before before I probably let you go, and it's around. So we call it conundrum economics, Japan. So mm -hmm. you, you touched on it before. You know, we've been looking at Japan for a while. You've got it's trading like a half a book, especially financials. They've got a massive demographic issue, but then, you know, much of the developed world has got a demographic issue. What I find kind of fascinating with them is that they are easily one of the most technologically advanced countries in the world. And, and I was having a chat yep. with, with Ray about this um, some time back, and we were kind of throwing around the idea of instead of importing young people, right, to, to kind of take up that slack, do they have a capability to basically utilize robots, uh, you know, 
maybe not to the same extent, but to a certain mm-hmm. extent that actually mm-hmm. takes up some of that slack and it actually just changes that whole dynamic where demographics, they're always going to matter. Um, but there's just, there's a different piece of the puzzle in there. And then you look at um, their ability, you know, their markets that they're sitting on the door of, which are you know, ex-Thailand and ex-China, they have favorable demographics and they're an exporting country. So I kind of look yeah, at it and then, and then I say, okay, what's, you know, how's it being priced at the moment? And I think this is nuts. This just, on a re- again, on a relative basis, if I look across the world, this just looks really good. And then further to that, if they're going to destroy the, the yen, which, you know, I'm of the belief that they'll do, then, you know, equities should benefit. Um, and so I'm curious as to what your take on, on, um, on Japan is. I, I, I'm in complete agreement, and I'm actually pretty excited about your, your the idea that's new to me that I, I I hadn't thought about, which is the idea of of utilizing robot technology to solve a demographic issue, which is a little bit of of evil genius in that. Um, well, they're, in they're that, actually doing it. Given, I mean, there's there's hotels yeah, well, I, I, that I, are just yeah. So they're, they're it's not just I think theoretical. It's kind of they're the leaders, right? I mean, Fennec is the, the world leader in this. And I, I think it's a great idea because I, I have said for a while, and you know, I've, I've been bullish on Japan since November of 2012 when, you know, abe got elected. I gave a speech at Grant's conference in April of 13. And I went first and I was bullish on Japan. You could have heard a pin drop. Uh, Kyle Bass came up after me, beat on Japan, saying the world's going to end. And it was like, a, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, it was like a rock concert. They rushed the stage, 40 people, one person came to talk to me. I'm like, I win. That's confirmation bias. So he can't be right if everyone agrees with him. Mm. So, and I love Kyle. He's, he's a buddy. So, I, but, so I'm not criticizing. It was just, it was confirmation bias. And Clearly, it, it was a great trade in 13 and 14 and, and, and even in 15 and then 16, you know, we just got our, our head handed to us because we just got totally blindsided by Kurodasan, you know, given in to what I refer to as the Shanghai Accord or the Shanghai Detente with Ms. Lagarde to take the pressure off the renminbi. But now I think that that has been let down. Um, I think they will go back to depreciating the yen. I think they will take advantage of their far superior technological skills to generate opportunities for um, their companies to export into these gigantic markets that have good demographics. And I, I actually get very excited about uh, what's going on in Japan. I know financials. Uh, we think they're super cheap. The only thing we like better than Japanese financials are Greek financials um, because they've been decimated so much. And oh, that's interesting. Um, we should we should talk. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, no, I'd love to talk. I would love to talk. The Greek stuff. It's um, Matreo and I. We we just literally a couple of weeks ago we started pulling up all those, and um, a lot of them have actually cured many of their issues. And and. Everybody's yep. kind of very focused on Europe as this basket case, which is, look, I, I, I'm of the opinion that, that it is a basket case, but it's about how are things priced. And so within that, you've got certain 
you know, we long, we're along a few um, European banks, mm-hmm. but the, because again, it's just a pricing issue, right? And, and it's always a pricing issue. I mean, that's the thing is, look, is JP Morgan a good bank? Sure. Is it a better bank than Alpha Bank in Greece? Sure. But the price already reflects it. Yeah. And I, I always am willing to buy a, a decent business. Doesn't have to be the best business in the world, but I'm willing to always want to buy a decent business for a great price. And it's always been a good strategy. And it's what you and I talked about a minute ago is if you constantly have that, that cash cushion that allows you to think objectively when the stuff goes on sale. Look, if, if the referendum doesn't go as everybody thinks it's going to go in Italy, some of those Italian banks are a great buy here. Yeah. Now, a couple of them probably aren't, but a couple of them are really, really interesting. And, you know, I, the Spanish banks are interesting, and I, I'm with you. I, I think you've got to look objectively at assets based on price, not on what you perceive them to be because the media tells you that Europe's a basket case or Japan is a no-win situation. Or I mean, I think that's valuable just to – I think that, that for me, like that side is valuable to, to try and ascertain what the market's thinking. I mean, it's just kind of another piece of the puzzle, but it don't – you know, you can't let it be something that's a driving force. It's just more like a piece of the puzzle that you look at and you go, okay – this is what I'm looking at over here on a fundamental basis. You know, what is the market saying? And look, often you can kind of see that in commitment of traders reports and things like that, which actually tell you, which actually back to Japan quickly. And that's one of the things that really excites me is that, you know, there's net shorts from commercials, you name it on, on Nikkei. And I'm like, the, the yen's just gone to 113. I think we're at about one, um, 112 now. Yeah, about 112, yep. 112.50. And, and the Nikkei has moved, but it hasn't really moved a massive amount. And everybody's net short. So it's it's just, even if we're wrong. The risk-reward uh, is very good. The risk-reward of that trade is very good. And it's, it, to me, it's, it's about margin of safety. You know, what is the margin of safety on that trade? And what is the opportunity cost of of being wrong and i just i think those are those are quite low and um you can look around and pick up some some really interesting franchise businesses at at pretty good prices now they have their stocks that are overpriced a lot of the defensive stuff um that people flocked into because it had stable cash flows you know i think those are those are a little overpriced um I think there's probably a really good market neutral trade to do in, in Japan where you go long the cyclical stuff and short the, the defensive stuff. But yeah, and it's also little things like you talk about um, being technologically advanced. They're also business model advanced. I don't know if you've ever been to a Uniqlo store, but mm-hmm. I, I just went to one in New York city and I had never seen anything like it in my life. I mean, so many people, so much product moving prices that were like everything I touched, I could buy because it was so reasonably priced and high quality. I I bought this down jacket that I wore for the first time this weekend and it was unbelievable how good it was. 
I just, and it was half the price of anything I would buy at, at a comparable, you know, outdoor store. Sure. Yeah, they're very process driven. And, and it's, it, you know, it, it, look, it's the one place in the world that I think I would never go to, um, to arts or drama because I just don't think that, that, yeah, right. you know, <laughs> that yep. side of things is yep. their forte. Um, but in terms of, High quality, consistent, process-driven um, materials and products—they are—they're the leaders in the world. And you know, back to the you know robot revolution side of things, I kind of, you know, if you're gonna, if you believe as I do that that's where we're heading in the world, then you say, well, where where's the best intellectual capital for that? Um, where's IP? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. That's where it sits. So I think they've got that's a massive advantage sure. in that space. It's just how they actually utilize that. So that's where you know, I've kind of been toying with this idea of actually do, could they potentially solve to a certain extent that demographic issue um, with that? Yes. Yep. Um, yep. I, I don't have an answer, but it's, it's percolating in my mind. Um, and it's no, I think, I think, because, I think. Yeah. I think your answer is exactly right. And I think it, what's percolating is only going to get better and better as you think more about it. But I, um, you, know, you look around the world, I think the developed world, you know, Japan is the best, Europe's in second, the U.S. is a distant third. And, you know, for all the talk of the big bull market in, in the U.S., you know, the markets over the last two years is up 10%. Big deal, right? That's just not interesting to me uh, for the risk you're taking of the downside. <clears throat> and, you know, what, what you could make in European financials or Japanese exporters is going to dwarf what I think you're going to make in the U.S. over the next decade. And then you go down into emerging markets and we could talk all day about that. We'll do that on another call. But um, I, I, you know, I like where your, your process takes you and, what, you know, bring it all back to scientific method is, is by having a, a process that is based on observing failure and learning from it and then enhancing it and coming out with something better, um, you know, we may just come up with the light bulb, to use the Edison analogy, uh, if, we keep, uh, if we keep looking around for great ideas. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, Mark. And on that note, I'm going to let you go because you've got to get a plane. And I've got to get yep, um, thank you. stuff done, well, this, but it's been an absolute was, pleasure. This is so much fun. And uh, the fact that we're connecting, you know, literally halfway around the world in real time and uh, have so many common ideas to share. Uh, look forward to future conversations and, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Enjoy the holidays. I will do. Likewise. Take care, man. Have a good flight. All right. Thanks, Chris. Okay. I'll talk Bye to you now. soon. Thanks very much for tuning in. To receive more great subscriber-only information, go to capitalistexploits.at.